Hello, welcome to the Movie Morlock program. This is uh, your host, James Kent, um, sometimes known as Jim. Um, and uh, I got a special guest with me today. Here he is, ladies and gentlemen, the president of the Ricky Schroeder fan club, Teal. How's it going, buddy? Yeah, how's it going? Uh, hey, is there some Ricky Schroeder news I don't know about? Is this a is this a ripped from the headlines <laughs> intro or uh, you're pretending like you don't know? I always believe that every time you do this shtick, that you actually knew every time everything I was ever going to tell you. Um, I have no idea about this, and I know that you were formerly uh, the president of the Kurt Cameron uh, fan club. Yes, that that that's a reference I get. <laughs> but uh, in a similar vein, you've switched allegiances and now you're the president <laughs> of the Ricky Schroeder fan club. Um, so and, fill me in on this. What's going on with Ricky Schroeder? Uh, well, you know, in the long list of things that are just going wrong these days, um, I would be remiss if I didn't mention the horrific war crimes tragedy that's happening uh, in the Ukraine um, by a complete maniac dictator uh, who decided that he wants to bring back Back the good old days, the USSR, um, and get the whole gang back together one way or the other. It doesn't matter how many innocent lives are lost. Um, so that is probably the worst thing. Yeah. But we're a movie program. Just a we're, we're <laughs> humanitarian tragedy and, and just terrible for the world all around. But anyhow, Rick Schroeder. R Ricky Schroeder. He's he's um you know he's a kid actor. Um, he didn't really do anything after that. I mean, maybe he's been in some stuff. I guess as he an adult. did. He was on a TV show. Uh, he was he played a cop on a TV show. That's was he? Was it NYPD Blue? Maybe was he in that? It might have been. Uh, he was. He he did a season of Twenty Four. Oh, that's right. He was in that too. Okay, so yeah. So he, long story short, the key. He you know he he's a far right right-winger guy um he's uh, okay he, he's a mormon uh very religious uh he lived in arizona i actually lived in arizona at a time and, and he lived in the, the rich part of uh, scottsdale i think or phoenix somewhere okay. um, up on the camelback mountain area um and and he's just an arrogant jerk um i guess he always has been and i you know i i think I mean, I, I, you know, I don't know, I don't know him personally, but I, let's just say I, I do. I, I, you do? <laughs> no, no, you do no, I don't. Him? Oh, okay, because you're the president, right? Um, well, yeah. uh, you know, you're, you're, you know, let's put it this way: I, I, I don't. I think that he's had, you know, he's having some issues, maybe. Um, he maybe I, I feel like there should be some compassion going his way, only because maybe he needs some help, but. He's one of those dudes who has gone on those super like anti-mask tirades where oh, okay. if there is yes. any place that is, you know, whether or not there's like a state regulation or a local regulation, or maybe you're just allowed as an establishment to say for the safety of people that you don't want to wear masks, right. uh, that you want people to wear masks. If there's a place that is demanding people wear masks. He's going to be there to not wear a mask and yell at you about it. Um, and the latest came from some museum. And if you if you dare, if you dare ask uh, Ricky Schroeder to put on a mask, you are a Nazi, you see. Um, because that's my favorite oh. thing. Right-wingers who don't have any understanding of the concept what fascism it was. <laughs> right, refuse they think to this is fascism. Yeah, they refuse to understand that fascism is a far-right ideal and that just like only Joseph 
Goebbels himself could have dreamt up that a perfect way uh, for a fascist to gaslight you would be to claim that you're the fascist. When it's in fact well, yourself. that's true. I mean, that's 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 right out of the fascism playbook. Is just accuse everyone else of being. It's like Putin denazifying Ukraine. <laughs> exactly right, right. He, he's actually liberating the Ukraine. He's liberating U- the people of Ukraine from the dr- drug addict Nazis who rule them. So, yeah, I mean, uh, so anyways, uh, that's really what that was about. Um, And I I think it's funny because, again, when there's like these idiot uh, truckers, right, going around for freedom, the funny thing is it's the worst timing in the world is the fact that most of the country, most of the country, even though people don't, they seem to just be over the pandemic, even though the pandemic's not over with them by a long shot, people have just given up. Everything's coming back. There's no mandates anymore, but yet... These people are riding around in their trucks going, the government's, you know, and, and so so already that's bad. Also, it's really embarrassing if you're worried about the freedom to wear or not wear a mask or get a vaccine that can save lives when people are literally dying for real freedom in another country. It's just yeah, a bad look. Yeah, it's, it's a bad look. And, you know, I think that uh, I keep coming back to this. I'm thinking about Rick Schroeder and then these truckers driving around. Is the I'm assuming those truckers wear seat belts. I know. Oh, I, right. Don't start talking logic. Right. The r- rules. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, but you know what? But here's what's really funny is is that somebody must be bankrolling these clowns because think about how much gas it must cost them these days to ride around <laughs> those know, trucks. That's like the like I said the timing could be worse. It's like you know to put diesel into a truck is over five bucks a gallon. So you know Putin is bankrolling them. Maybe. Um, so anyways, that's all that. That was that fun intro. And that's that was the thing for any of people who've only been listening since the movie Morlock days. Uh, you know, it's kind of like that in just name only. It's really stuff we've seen. There's Teal. Look, I've been I've been wrangling him back into episodes, whether he likes it yes. or not. I like it. You know, it's just we 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 just not getting it done as as often as we used to. Um, but if we ever get a chance to do that all the time, then then we'd probably go back to the stuff we've seen. Uh, so I I think we thought we'd only talk again right after the Oscars, right? Because we we last which, which I am not going to watch. I got to say I'm, I'm banning the Oscars this year. Well, okay, so that's the thing is so you know I was preparing for a month of like what's this what's the Oscar season going to be like? What what are the controversies? You know what are the things? Wh- who's shaping up to maybe get the awards and pretty much it's one of those things where by the time the night comes you kind of know who all the winners are going to be it just seems to be already predetermined because every other award for film happens right. between the nominations and the actual uh, ceremony and uh what i didn't expect was going to happen was that the oscars would announce this really insane thing where abc as it turns out right i'm skipping a lot of steps here but abc pretty much forced the academy's hand I just want to add before you keep going. I know none of this. I haven't followed any of this. Well, you said you were banning the Oscars, so okay, you must I'm have banning known it something. because I I read one article about <laughs> Ricky Schroeder. Uh, actually, because you told me that uh, that they were doing certain categories pre-recorded montage. Yeah, so you know, look. or during commercial breaks or whatever, like they had said they were going to do with editing two years ago or last year. 
the, there's no secret that ratings have been going down for all award shows, by the way, not just the Oscars, but the Oscars in general. It used to be the biggest award show of them all in terms of ratings, right? It had a global yeah. audience. Um, that's been just just disappearing year over year. And then, of course, in the pandemic, it's been even worse because, you know, there haven't been people going to the movies. It's like, and, and, you know, look – the reality is, I think people like to hear who won an award more than they need to watch it. And you know, there's not a lot of, not a lot of surprises. I don't think the mm-hmm. Oscars really ever were. There were always favorites, even way before the internet, and you kind of knew who was probably gonna uh, win if you paid any attention at all. So I suppose that people tuned in because they didn't have the internet and didn't follow, you know, the industry and read articles and knew um, if they ever read EW or anything. It's fun to see uh, your favorite stars uh, dressed up, giving speeches. Before the internet and social media and stuff, you didn't see a lot of these celebrities outside of going to their movies, and you had no access to them. So this was your chance to see them all glammed up. But that's not the case anymore. Yeah. Now they're glammed up on Instagram all day. Yeah. And then, you know, I mean, over the years that changing of the guard, the old Hollywood. I mean, it was fun even for kids to see those are the big stars as they were aging and they would still show up and they might win like an honorary award and you'd see them. So there was all of this stuff baked in and it's a new day. But the problem is that they signed a long-term contract with ABC while ratings were still relatively good. And it just so happens that the ratings have tanked um, over the years, much more rapidly than ABC ever would have liked. But unfortunately, ABC's answers for how to fix things, and even the academies, <laughs> I, I mean, maybe they should hire me as a consultant because I could give them 20 different ways that could make it better, and they just don't get it. Um, and so this year, really, they were pushed, put a gun to their heads by ABC because they have a clause that, oh. it, yeah, there's like a ratings clause where if ratings had gotten down to a certain point, ABC could pull out and it's millions of dollars that the Academy gets. And that really helps keep them afloat. And they had this museum that cost a lot of money and it's been kind of a bomb because, you know, COVID. And and so it it opened, but nobody's been going. Well, it's not really a destination museum. It's in LA, right? Well, I think it's in Hollywood. I mean, so they thought, I think people would go, you know, go to it. And it's just, it just shows you that today, like a lot of things in America, I mean, there's not a lot of culture people don't appreciate. And apparently the only movie that people go to see is if it's a freaking superhero movie. Right. Yeah. That's that's all they care about. That's all all they want to see in the theater anyway. And I have no problem with that because I go to those superhero movies. Um, And and I mean, again, I think we'll we'll finish this Oscar discussion. And if we have any time, I might give you a little thoughts on the fact that I saw the Batman this weekend and I had a very surprising reaction. I thought it was a big hunking pile of crap. And I think a lot of people are feeling like I have to love this movie and we're not, not refusing to see what's right there, that it's not a good film. And there's a lot of reasons. What's the cinema score? I don't know, um, but it's gotten, I mean, the fanboys love it. However, the what what I hear for why they love it and what they love to throw out as phrases and things I'm reading on Twitter, it shows me that they don't have the ability to analyze a film like this stacked up against regular movies, but only right. in the world of comic book stuff now. And there's a big, you know, kind of break between good movies 
and superhero films that make tons of money. And I think that was one of the controversies that first came up and I thought that was going to be a thing, the Oscars, that Spider-Man, No Way Home, didn't get a nomination. Yeah. And I would agree with that because I thought it was a fine, fun movie, but I don't really oh, yeah. think it really was very deep. However, I have now seen all 10 movies that were nominated for Best Picture. Yeah. And to be completely honest, if I look at those 10, and then I look at Spider-Man No no Way Out, No Way Home, Far From Home. I don't know what it was even called anymore. It's Spider-Man <laughs> I, movie that I, made a billion dollars. <laughs> the, the fact is, is that even though that it doesn't make a lot of sense, terrible plot holes, and it has that I don't give a crap if there is plot holes, Marvel-esque attitude, where, you know, yeah. it just has to entertain and it has to sort of make sense while you're watching it, and that's all that matters. Well, at this point, the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe is just Swiss cheese. Yeah. They have they have undone if you think about it at all the entire thing completely falls apart. And so they just have thrown their hands up in the air and said we're just going to do spectacle and twists and turns and time travel and multiverses and yeah. none of it holds together at all. But people can have a great time watching it, but like I said, yeah. if I'm being honest, when I look at the 10 movies that got actual nominations, Spider-Man is better than four of those other movies. So, yeah. and, and and some of them by a lot. That movie Coda belongs nowhere in a best picture list. That movie King Richard belongs nowhere in a best picture list. Nightmare Alley, when I read the people that love that, I realize they have no filmography and that they're surprised right. by that movie only because they've never really, they, they're like, this is an amazing noir. Only because I guess you've heard the term noir. Never, never seen, seen a noir, noir movie. And that's what's happening with Batman. They're like, this is the first comic book noir. I'm like, well, no. And I could give you a lesson in why it isn't a good noir at all. But you want to go ahead and feel like it's <laughs> it's good. It's the first time that the Batman's a real detective. I'm like, yeah, but the bar is so low in this movie as for who's <laughs> detecting. And and the fact that the, that the riddles themselves are pretty easy to solve. And the fact that we already know as an audience that it's the Riddler and that, unfortunately, that's the comic book mythology. You can't have too many surprises. Right. There is not one single, absolutely no surprise in the Batman movie whatsoever. I could spoil it only in that there's nothing to spoil. The movie is a big dud fake. Nothing happens in the movie and the action scenes are bad and they have not solved. Okay, that's what I was just going to ask because if the action scenes were good, at least, you know, at least that. No, see, they, they have not solved one key issue that has plagued every single Batman movie. The fact is when you are weighted down in this suit that can protect you, I guess, from broken limbs and stuff when you get thrown around and right. all that other stuff. The action scenes, the fight scenes are extremely clumsy because you can only move so well in a suit like that. Right. <laughs> and because it's PG-13 and not an R, oh. you can't really have action that might take it to the next level. Right. It, it certainly doesn't have any John Wickian type fights where you're really like blown away. Um, so I'm not sure why people get excited about that. Yeah, John Wick is... Is, is a superhero, in my opinion. And there's inventiveness and stuff, and nobody ever really thinks, it's kind of like, oh, well, we have to make sure this, what, they probably have like, you need to have three Batman fight scenes. The first one is that he is going to find some random punk group 
and he's going to stop them from a crime and he's going to beat them up. And that'll be our introduction of what Batman does because that's <laughs> what all of those have to have. And, and great, it has that. So I feel like this is like no different than the very first Batman we ever saw in 1989. And then it's going to have, like, you know, you don't really like the Nolan Batman movies. The plot of this film is like taking bits and pieces of all three of those Nolan movies and putting it all together into some crime story that is just ham-fisted, boring, lame. You can see it coming a mile away. Uh, oh, not man. very exciting. And then it tries to mix in, like I said, like this sort of David Fincher-esque detective story with, um, you know, with uh, the Riddler. But like I said, unlike, say, Seven, where unless you knew Kevin Spacey was in it. Right. At the time, and Kevin Spacey wasn't a thing then, so a lot of people really didn't know who he was. So if you saw his name in the credits, it didn't mean anything then. Wasn't that big a deal? Yeah, yeah like you're watching it, and they're they're solving bits and crimes as to what the crime is all about. So they sort of go that route here with the Batman trying to solve, not necessarily who's doing it. Like, why is this? Why are these crimes right happening and connected? Motive? Yeah, but it feels very scripted to me. I mean, there's not. It's not about the, the dialogue so much as it's the the storytelling. <laughs> and then there's the big centerpiece. They have a big centerpiece uh, car chase in the middle. Um, yeah. And it's not that it's bad, even though the whole film is very dark and kind of murky. It has this like a, a look that they've created. But the problem with the car chase that I felt is when you're going through a little bit more of a gritty realism that this Batman does, like where the, yeah. the bad guys aren't as necessarily comic booky as they might have been right. like in the TV show or they even tried like, to make it a little more realistic. Yeah. Right. But then when you have a car chase that becomes like something in the Marvel territory where the destruction and mayhem and most likely injury and death that would have been caused by this right. car chase. For me, it takes me out of the movie because I can't stop thinking about the events that happened right afterwards as if this car chase and all the the, the carnage never happened. It makes no right. sense. It's yeah. there just to tick a box because there's no way the studio would not let them have a bat car chase. Um, and then the movie in the last half hour goes to places that I did not care for and I didn't like anything about the last half hour of the movie. And when it's all over, you're like, this is three hours? Like, you, this is a two-hour movie that they crammed out into three hours. And I remember I looked at my oldest, who was the only one in the theater that liked it, in, as far as my group. And I turned to him yeah. and I just said, I said, my review of that movie is, yep, it was three hours. And then I looked over to my wife, who I had no idea whether she liked the movie or not, because my littlest was to the left of me and he was he was like struggling through that movie he was fidgeting so much <laughs> that i knew he didn't like it so i looked over to my wife because i mean maybe she liked it and she said to me here's my review that movie could have been an email <laughs> <laughs> and i think what her point was is that someone could have just sent me an email about it and that would have been fine yeah she uh, hated uh, it because it was wow. a tough half hour into that movie i i i i was struggling to stay awake I'm probably going to end up seeing it because my kid wants to see it. I don't know why she'll want to see it. I mean, Pattinson, this is the thing. I, I said this in a little, in a response to someone in Twitter who was brave enough to say that they hated this movie. I said, this is a film that the, the filmmakers checked all the, all the right boxes, seemingly. They seemed to listen to what the fans wanted. Pattinson is very, very good in the lead role, and yet the movie on every level is a failure. Well, Pattinson is actually always good even in the twilight movies 
he's a good actor, and I think he fit the suit really well. I mean, yeah. over time though, because I get to spend you get to spend a lot of time with him in the suit. Um, <laughs> that's one thing that, that it does right with three hours. It's not one of those like let's spend all of these scenes where uh, a villain gets to ham it up and there's no Batman. That movie, this movie right. does not have that. So I appreciated that, but over time, you you, you would think that people could figure out that it's uh, Bruce Wayne under there. <laughs> <laughs> That's just typical. That's the Batman suspension of disbelief that you just have to go with. Well, but here's the thing is there is a character in the movie that figures it out. However, you never learn how they figure it out. It's never told. It seems to be a big part of the, like towards the end of the movie, but yet you have no idea. You think in three hours you'd have time for that scene, but apparently not. And this movie also borrows a lot Again, it's like a it's a movie that's recycled from a lot of things. It borrows from almost almost every Batman movie that's come before it. What's your favorite Batman movie? I would say that if I if I'm being honest, the one that I yeah. like the most was Batman Begins, even though I didn't think the villain was the greatest. Yeah, I I like that movie too. Uh, second for me would be Batman Returns. I don't like that at all. And I, really? I feel like that's one where a lot of people like to revision it and say it was really good. But I, um, I, I, I fell for that trap a couple of years ago where I'm like, I'm hearing all these things that people really like it. And I found that movie to be just as much of a downer as I did the first time when I saw it opening night. However, okay. it has some good things in it. I saw it opening night and I liked it and I haven't seen it since. Yeah, I saw it one other time because I found it so hard to enjoy, um, and it was a few years ago, and I was like, yep, it's just as bad as I remembered. Okay. But, but it, yet it does have some things, is that even though if you look back at the 1989 Batman, and then, of course, Batman Returns, you know, there's stamps of the worst traits of Tim Burton, but it also, right. both films have an imagination and a reimagining of what this comic, what what this Cape Crusader could be for films that that really propelled it to where it is now. And the things that I like about the Nolan uh, Batman, you know, I was never like the people I know that go ape shit over the dark night. I was never one of those um, though. I had, it has some great moments and seeing it in IMAX, um, opening weekend with a crowd. It was a great experience. And the scenes that he shot in IMAX, when you see them in IMAX, yeah. they really suck you in, in a way that they don't when you just watch them uh, regular. I don't like the way the movie kind of ends. The climax, I don't really care for too much of The Dark Knight. It's just the, the yeah. where, where you have the rich people and then you have the prisoners and it's like one of those things where... My my issue with that movie is entirely with the script. Yeah, I know you're not a Nolan uh, script fan, but uh, I am not. I think we talked. You haven't even seen the Batman. I'm not going to spoil anything. I think you should yeah, go in okay. and you tell me. I don't think you're going to like it any more than I did. I just I can't stand when people are praising stuff and they don't know what they're talking about. And I actually think it's a bad noir movie. I think it's a terrible detective movie. I'm not sure why Batman getting to be sort of a detective is such a big like plus for people that they think it's a great movie because of that. Um, well, I think because that, if you're a comic book fan, you know Batman is the world's greatest detective. Yeah, but then give me a movie where he really is getting to do that. Again, this is where, again, I I feel like we're seeing a real uh, moment where you have to start questioning what are people getting out of these comic book movies or what do they think they're getting? Because I am really lost. 
Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know, but I know that I liked Spider Man more than I liked Nightmare Alley. Well, okay, so now we're going to come back. So one of the things that the Oscars decided to do to try to get more ratings, right? The first thing, and I thought this was a bad idea, and let's see if it turns out to be a bad idea. They, they thought, well, maybe we're going to get people will tune in. We can find a way to maybe back end ba- uh, Spider Man getting award where we're going to give off. It's not an official Oscar, but we're going to do this thing with Twitter where people can vote for their favorite movie of. Uh, 2021 and give a fan favorite kind of notice or award. I thought that was bad. And of course, they don't seem to understand Twitter and how people like to go, okay, how do we F this up and make it a mockery? (laughs) So for a while, for a while, the Netflix offering Cinderella, which maybe they put into some theaters with Camila Cabello or something, that was leading the role. Uh, the lead. And then also there was a big contingent that decided let's really make an embarrassment of the Oscars. And the little scene um, kind of canceled Johnny Depp film, <laughs> Minimata. That was also in the Never running. even heard of it. I know, but that's why a group of people decided let's get Johnny Depp <laughs> movie the Oscar. Um, and then of course Spider-Man No Way Home. There was a lot of uh, fan love for Zack Snyder's uh, Justice League cut, but that doesn't qualify because it's not technically a 2021 film, so <laughs> those votes don't count. <laughs> I know. And it, so that in itself would have been fun. I've heard that Spider-Man is now solely kind of strongly in the lead, but I gotta say okay. part of me is rooting for Cinderella only because if you do something this disgusting and obnoxious to the fans, you get what you deserve. Right. Yeah, I'm more that, of a purist. Well, there's already the People's Choice Awards. Exactly. So this is where when the Oscars tries to be too many things, they just what what they can't what you have to understand, and they have to understand, ABC has to understand, is that the the boat has left the sh- the, the shoreline. It, you can't just manufacture big ratings. If Spider-Man had been nominated and even a bunch of categories, guess what? It still wouldn't help the ratings. It might have helped a little bit. And then those people would have been mad that it didn't win because they don't understand. Yeah, and then they wouldn't watch the Oscars again. But then they made the worst thing. This is the thing that actually after all these years, you know me, there's been two times since 1984 that I haven't been able to watch the Oscars exactly as they happened. And one was because I had to work at an overnight job. And so I watched them on tape as soon as I got home. And the second was I had to go to a wedding because the guy who got divorced like two years later, by the way, he, uh, and that annoyed me because he made me miss the Oscars that time for his (laughs) his wedding on the Oscars. And I had to watch that on tape when I got back, but I had already found out who won the stuff. Besides that, I've watched every freaking ceremony since 1984. And this year, based on what they decided to do, I am not going to watch. Unless they change their mind, then I'll watch. Um, We're still going to do a post-Oscar episode. Right, right, right. But you're not going to watch it live. No. And even if I'm, like, tempted, they can't. They can't fuck with a fan like me and then expect that I'm going to go and forgive them and watch it anyway because then it then it then it proves their point. So they've decided that an hour before they're going to do a ceremony that's not for the live broadcast where they are going to announce the award winning for animated short, documentary short, live action short, the the shorts, uh film editing yeah. Which, again, was an outrage two years ago, and they didn't. But now yeah. film editing is back in there. Makeup and hairstyling, production design, sound, and original score. Eight awards are going to be put in this hour before. In the hour before. And then, you know, they're going to probably 
uh, in between as they can. They're going to put moments back. And I guess they're looking at it as, well, this is a way we can save the people going up and that. And if they're like too long, we can cut. And, you know, the thing is that there's always a category you could argue for. So like me, right? If I had to go and say, yeah, we'll take a few things. Here's one of my suggestions would be to change this. They really want to change. I would take the shorts, animated short, documentary short, short live action short. I would take them off the broadcast and you could still give it to them. And since they have that separate award yeah, where they do but, the- But I kind of feel like those are uh, antique awards, right? Like, Well, that's the thing. Editing and production design and score are as relevant as ever. Yeah, maybe they're not for, I don't know, the people who just want to find out who wins best actor or actress. I'm like, if you don't already know who's probably going to win- you know, there's not a lot of suspense. So, like, yeah, these are the crafts. The the short, live-action short, animated short, documentary short. It's one of those things where if you want to honor people who make those short films, that's commendable. But you know what? That but they would, don't play in theaters anymore the way they did 80 years ago. You know, I have to say, over – and it took them years to even get this right – for those people who are interested in seeing those, they now package those up. And like the theater that I went and saw the Batman at a week before had done a whole program where you could have gone in, bought a ticket and watched all of the short live action animated oh, short and documentary cool. short films. That's pretty cool. And then, you know, yeah. if I was in college, that would have been the thing. I would have loved to have done that. Absolutely. Yeah. If they want to make decisions to remove those categories permanently or then they put them at their governor's ball that they do, or whatever it is. They right. Got, then, okay, but that would cut maybe 10 minutes out of the ceremony. And you know what? If they want to go that route to make a shorter thing, great. However, and we've all been through this if we've watched, they do these things where they do these oh. bits that take up 15, 20 minutes of the program, and none of them are yeah. ever good. Cut those things out. Nobody wants to see those. I actually would be fine without the original song musical numbers. Well, they did that one year and I loved it. Um, Of course, it didn't save any time because they always are like, oh, but then we have to fill it in. You know what? If those numbers entertain the audience that comes there, that's fine. The problem is, just like you said, that the short live action stuff, all those live action and those short things, that they're outdated. The problem is the golden age of songs being written for movies is also got where is long gone once in a while you get a year where they do have some big songs like the james bond song that's probably going to win the billy eilish song that was a big yeah. song and actually it came out before the movie because the movie got delayed so long but i don't know most of those are like this they're just ridiculous nominations for movies that yeah. like they like knew that they could maybe get a nomination if they threw a song on there yeah, and they play the song over the end credits. It's not even part of the movie. Or in the case of Belfast, which I saw this weekend, there is uh, all the songs in the movie are pretty much all Van Morrison songs. They made like okay. a, he made like an artistic choice to use Van Morrison, and Van Morrison wrote a song for the start of the movie. Does it really have anything to do with Belfast? No. Does it have anything to do with the time <laughs> period of Belfast? No. But it's you know it's a song that in the movie, and so that's nominated. But like, and that's the right. same thing with like King Richard, you know, there's like a song at the end and it's just. Uh, yeah. And I just, I, I don't, I mean, that's like a, at least a full half hour of the broadcast is those songs. Yeah. So another thing I think, and this is where, again, the short sightedness, they made a decision a few years ago that they have not acknowledged, messed up the ratings. 
And I think to this day it has. And they've missed some great opportunities in the last few years where people would have tuned in for this. They made a decision a few years ago to take the honorary awards, move them off the program, and do a separate ceremony, which isn't right. televised, and somehow say, well, then we get some more of a chance because we can add more people to honor, which they do. They, instead of like the two yeah. that they would always do, they usually like like four, and that people have a longer time and it's a whole nice evening. But here's what they missed by doing that. Sometimes the only interesting moments of an Oscar cast when there's no real surprises would be to see this person that they're honoring's life's work and then hear a speech and it could actually be kind of a great moment. Yeah, they yeah, march out some old star and give them an award and yeah, it w- it could be really touching and I mean, that's that's kind of what you want from the Oscars is some uh, emotional response. I don't know if it was last year or the year before. But there was a year where David Lynch was honored. Now, as a fan of a guy who has really broken ground in movies, he hasn't made a ton of films, but every one of his, good or bad, is iconic in a way. I wanted to see him be honored and get to watch that there. And so that was a miss. Now, this year, I don't remember all four, but you want to talk about uh, something that would have gotten ratings you don't think the fact that they're honoring sam jackson this year oh man yeah we don't get to see that and we don't get to see elaine may who they're also honoring those would yeah. have been great moments for this year's oscar ceremony and because of their decision making they lost out and i think that sam jackson there's a lot of people that would probably have tuned in to watch him yeah if you want to get the comic book uh crowd in there he's still relevant. So it's just, that's the kind of decision-making. Now, if what I would be okay with, right, if they wanted to do this, because again, I want it to feel important. If they if they just don't want to show these craft awards and these other things, yeah, move all that to the same award ceremony that they're going to honor these other people. And then, you know what? Do things that they've been asking for before. Add some extra categories that would be interesting, like best stunts. Um, maybe they can do a, get, a best guest performance and that can go into the main right. thing. I mean, they could open it up to more categories if they moved more categories to a separate show. And then maybe that's not on ABC, but maybe somebody picks that up because I would probably watch that that show. Maybe it's a two-hour show and then this is a two- or three-hour show. Yeah. There's just so many ways to go, but they are too stupid. So are you choosing not to watch it live or is there some... No, I'm choosing not. I mean, I would always, I'm going to, I'm forcing, even though I'm going to be mad about it, I think that I can't, I have to show them that you can't treat your fans, the real fans of movies that tune in every year. And I, because I don't believe that the ratings are going to be higher by doing the things they're doing. Nobody is going to say, you know what? I wasn't going to watch the Oscars, but now that they're uh, not doing editing and sound, I think I will watch. They feel that because they don't know when the show is going to end, even though they got it done by like 1135 last year, that people don't want to stay up because they know that they're going to see the shitty, according to them, that the the people are going to see the shitty nominee, you know, categories, but all the big ones are going to be too late to stay up. So this allows people to see it. So they may have a point uh, there. I just think that there's a lot of different ways they could explore. And what's going to happen, mark my words, the show is still going to be like 1130. It's going to go yeah. along. They're going to put these other obnoxious things. And then here's the worst. 
while we don't get to see certain categories, which I like to see who wins best score. I like to see who wins best editing. Uh, yeah. I like to see who wins best production design. They're going to make lots of room for the stupid fan favorite thing. <sighs> now, two years ago when they were going to take editing off, and a couple others, but there was a huge outcry from filmmakers around the world. Is that happening this year too? There is a lot of outcry from big filmmakers, not so much on the actors, right? Because the actors' categories aren't being cut, so they're not saying anything. Yeah, I mean, again, it's one of those things where like, I myself feel like I I look at, because I have some background information and knowledge, I look at the way that the pandemic a little bit differently than these people are like, it's time to just be free (laughs) of masks. But you know what? I, 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 I do recognize the fact that I am now in the minority of people who think let's go on the side of safety. <laughs> um, and, uh, and that's, just, you know, so we'll have to see what yeah. happens here. I mean, the fact is that this is happening. And that, like I said, it overshadowed for me, the Oscar season, but it has angered me. And, uh, we, you know, we'll talk about who the winners are because that is, I guess, sort of interesting. It's not so cut and dry this year. Okay. So since I'm going on the fact that you don't know a lot, as you said, yeah. you don't pay attention. There's several things that have been going on that are the normal things that we, we hear from Oscar season. And and so I'm going to tell you some things so you can go, huh, um, whether I agree or not agree, best actor, it looks like a lock for Will Smith for King Richard. I, you can't see this right now, but I just face palmed. I don't know. You haven't seen the movie, right? No, I haven't seen the movie. And I, you know, I think Will Smith is a decent actor and it's probably a decent performance, but it's uh, not... Uh, you know, the reason I haven't seen it is it just seems like a TV movie to me. Well, that TV movie is coming back or it's already now back on HBO. So you could check it out. Oh, okay. I will check it out then. It does feel like a TV movie to me. It was okay. If I just thought of it as a movie that I watched. Does it pull at the heartstrings at all in in, in a manipulative way? I mean, sometimes the Academy falls for that kind of stuff where it's just like sort of sentimental and corny. I know that now more than ever, movies are being digested at home for a lot of reasons. Yeah. Um, and for the Academy, probably digest a lot of them at home unless they get to go to a screening. Right. I don't know how Will Smith's movie, King Richard, would have played in a theater if I'd seen it with a crowd at a festival or whatever. I don't know. I can tell you that there are certain films that when you watch them, they feel right at home on TV and they right. actually feel yeah. like they were meant for just being made for TV even if they're shot like widescreen or whatever. Right. Versus films that they do feel cinematic and you feel like, oh, I wish I could have seen this in the theater. I will tell you that King Richard feels like something that was designed for TV and that it feels like a fraud that it was that it's getting any nominations in a movie. Okay, so he's he's leading the the uh, pack right now, huh? Over what I think is really the best performance uh, in the acting category, which would have been my choice, would be Benedict Cumberbatch for the Power of the Dog. Yeah, I've seen all five. So the five nominees again was Benedict Cumberbatch, Andrew Garfield for Tick Tick Boom, Will Smith, King Richard, Denzel Washington, Tragedy of Macbeth. Javier Bardem, being the Ricardos. The thing is, even though I think Will Smith is maybe the fourth out of those five, 
it, yeah. it's kind of a hard thing. Andrew Garfield, that movie was terrible. I don't even know how anybody could possibly like that movie. Uh, the Denzel Washington tragedy of Macbeth, he's kind of in this category. He's kind of my number two choice. Um, huh, but interesting. only because I just don't think it's a strong category. To me, the only person I would have nominated would have been Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> for that. <Right>. So, <laughs> so anyways, that looks like it's a lock. I guess if he doesn't win, then there's a shocker. Uh, Best Actress has become interesting. Again, it's a weird category um, because, again, I don't think – I've heard it over and over again that people are like, oh, such a great year for movies. I'm like, really? Right. I don't think no, so. No, it wasn't. It's a terrible year for movies. Another reason not to watch the Oscars. I haven't seen this one film. I haven't seen Penelope Cruz in Peril Mothers. I can't wait to watch it, uh, but I, I just can't – you know, where I'm at, yeah. I have to wait till it, it, it comes on streaming. So I haven't seen that, but I've seen all the other fours, and I've seen Olivia Coleman in The Lost Daughter, Nicole Kidman in Bee in the Ricardos, Kristen Stewart in Spencer, uh, Jessica Chastain in The Eyes of Tammy Faye. Now, based on the recent momentum of award-winning from like SAG awards yeah. and stuff – Right now, the lead is going to Jessica Chastain for the Eyes of Tammy Faye. Really? And that's a heavily made-up performance, meaning there's a lot of makeup involved. Um, Right. Just just like with Nicole Kidman and B and the Ricardos. And this is weird. I haven't seen Penelope Cruz, so maybe she would have been my number one choice. But out of the other people nominated, (laughs) I would say that Jessica Chastain's performance was the best. Because I didn't like The Lost Daughter. And I thought Olivia Coleman's character was really hard to uh, root for. Nicole Kidman shouldn't be even nominated. It's a terrible <laughs> no. Uh, Kristen Stewart, it's not that she's not good as uh, Diana and, and Spencer. The movie is horrible. And the fact is The Crown season four does a whole arc on uh, Princess Diana and, and Prince Charles. Oh. And that actress is so phenomenal. Uh, she actually, you, you'd you swear you're watching oh, Princess wow. Diana. Okay. That Kristen Stewart just doesn't match up to that. And there is a moment where Kristen Stewart's character has to yell and you hear Kristen Stewart's accent come out. She actually breaks character at oh, one wow. moment. And it's, it's just, it jarred me. It's like, oh, there's Kristen Stewart, not... Diana Spencer. <laughs> Not right. So uh, so the people that didn't get nominated, Lady Gaga, that's one of those things where I wouldn't have had a qualm if she got nominated for House right. of Gucci, but it was, it was an over-the-top performance. Uh, the person for me that I think was the best out of all of them was Alana Haim in Licorice Pizza, and that's, uh, that's a shame that she didn't get nominated. So now we're going into supporting actor, and this is mm-hmm. what's interesting. Most critics would agree that uh, Cody Smith McPhee for The Power yeah. of the Dog. The other nominees, Syrian Hines, I don't know if I'm saying that right, for Belfast. You know, that was a, I, I enjoyed that movie. I, I did enjoy it, and it feels very much like the kind of movie that Oscar nominates, especially like if it was back in the right. Harvey Weinstein Miramax days, he'd be all over pushing that movie. You know, there's not much there going on in that performance. I, I think that Bradley Cooper for Liquor's Pizza would have been a better nominee. Uh, Jesse Plemons, Power of the Dog. I mean, he's excited that he got nominated. He was great, yeah. but just that was a surprise. Uh, J.K. Simmons being the Ricardos. Sorry, buddy. You took someone's spot. <laughs> and then there's this guy, Troy Kotzer for Coda. Now, this is a movie that I mentioned before. I, I think this movie is terrible. It is insulting. It is the most cliche-ridden piece of garbage. 
And even though as just a regular movie, if I happen to catch it on a Saturday afternoon, I might've been like, oh, that's nice. I bet somebody's mom would like this movie. It's insulting. <laughs> and he plays the deaf father of a girl who can hear. She's the only one in the family right. that can hear. She has an older brother who's deaf and the mom played by Mar Marley Madeline. She is deaf and they are fishermen in Gloucester and let the cliches pour out from there. Uh, I'm not sure why he was getting such notice. I mean, his character is a jerk. He's obnoxious. He's not very um, understanding of his daughter who can hear and what she might be right. going through. I, I don't see anything special in this guy's performance. And it's not because... He's, he's, he's deaf or not. I mean, there was an amazing performance last year in Sound of Metal about a guy yes. going deaf and his mentor is a guy who's hard of hearing and that guy got nominated for Best Supporting Actor and I thought that was the best supporting performance of the year. He should have won. He didn't. Maybe it's to make up for that. I don't know. But believe it or not, <laughs> the person who is in the lead now for Supporting Actor who won SAG and seems to have all the momentum is this guy, Troy Kotzer for Coda. Okay. And yet Cody Smith McPhee is amazing in The Power of the Dog and should be the yeah. hands down the winner. And now I think it's time to bring up the fact that even though The Power of the Dog was leading, it seems like, in the best picture race, it's not necessarily leading the best picture race because there's a large contingent of people that don't like this movie. Oh, really? It's like one of these things where movies take on a life of their own when they're getting nominated. And then afterwards, yeah. people are like, ah, I don't like this. And it was never more apparent on how much the Academy, <laughs> people don't like it, a couple of weeks ago when there was a Mark Marin podcast. And he happened to have the cowboy himself. Sam Elliott. Was on. Talking about 1883, which I haven't seen. It's on Paramount Plus, I think. And uh, okay. it's it's like a prequel to Yellowstone. I guess it's, you know, something that all... Uh, all uh, white America loves, I guess. I don't know. Okay. But uh, so he innocently was talking to Sam Elliott and he asked him about, hey, have you seen that uh, Power of the Dog movie? <laughs> Did you like that? <laughs> and Sam Elliott, his response to whether he liked it was, fuck no. I looked at it when I was down there in Texas doing 1883. And what really brought it home to me the other day, there was this fucking full page ad out in the LA Times and there was a review, not a review, but a clip. And it talked about the evisceration of the American myth. And I thought, what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> this is the guy that's done Westerns forever. The evisceration of the American West. They made it look like, what are all those dancers that those guys in New York that wear bow ties and not much else? Remember them back in the day? <laughs> after Marin oh clarified that Elliot was referring to Chippendale's dancers, Elliot continued <laughs> to share his thoughts on the film. That's that's what all those fucking cowboys in that movie look like. They're all running around in chaps and no shirts. There's all these allusions to homosexuality throughout the fucking movie. Where's the Western in this Western, Elliot asked. I mean, Cumberbatch never got out of his fucking chaps. He had two pairs of chaps, a woolly pair and a leather pair. And every fucking time he would walk in from somewhere, he was never on a horse, maybe once. He'd walk into the fucking house, storm up the fucking stairs, go lay in his bed and his chaps and play his banjo. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> oh, but he wasn't, he wasn't finished. 
what the fuck does this woman, what the fuck does this woman from down there know about the American West? Why the fuck did she shoot this movie in New Zealand and call it Montana? And they say, this is the way it was? That fucking rubbed me the wrong way, pal. <laughs> the myth is that there were these macho men out there with the cattle. I just come from fucking Texas where I'm hanging out with families. Not men, but families. Big, long, extended, multiple generation families that made their living and their lives were all about being cowboys. <laughs> so needless to say, I don't think that Sam Elliott is going to be voting <laughs> for Power of the Dog. Um, at the wow. Oscars this year. Now, what, what, what's been the response to this? Oh, there's been a lot of like, what? Blowback. Um, for political correctness, it doesn't uh, hold up a lot. Uh, yeah. And yet he did have one defender, the great uh, contrarian himself, uh, film critic. Jeffrey Ar- Wells? No, Armand White. Armand White defended him. Interesting. Yes. He applauded applauded Sam Elliott <laughs> for recognizing what a piece of shit the movie was. <laughs> he didn't like it either. But his comment, I don't have that uh, 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 handy, but uh, his commentary, I mean, I could read it to you if you really wanted. No, no, no. no. You can just paraphrase. It was pretty fun. You know, I think that just as wrong uh, a perception of what the movie is that uh, Sam Elliott had. I think that anybody that likes it for thinking it's like all of these liberal ideas about, you know, I mean, I guess how gay the American West was or something, they've got it all wrong too. They got it all wrong too. It's just, it's about these characters. It's Yeah, that's the thing is I think people can add their own layers of what they think the bigger picture is, but ultimately it's just a story of these characters. And I think that the only difference is, is that we're in an environment now in film history where you can explore. And I think when they talk about, you know, the myths, well, you know, white men, white men filmmakers for years created yeah. the myth of the Western as far as the myth of the Western movie. I mean, there was these archetypes of the cowboys and yeah. the stereotypical. There was John Wayne and John Wayne was not gay. Yeah. And I'm right. Um, he didn't come to the door in a dress with the two <laughs> ma- two-way mirrors in his pad and Brentwood. Um, which, by the way, for those who understood that I was referencing Repo Man there, that whole line of dialogue came uh, from something that uh, what that actor, Tracy Walter, had overheard somebody who worked in the industry had told him about John Wayne. Oh, that's and so they, hilarious. He told that story in that scene. The thing is, is that we can now explore these Western stories a little differently. The fact is that I, I think what they're saying is that, you know, throughout time, it's not like suddenly men just suddenly became gay all of a sudden in the last 40 right. years. It's just that if you were in that time period when you had to be macho and male and you could not be your own self and show up what your sexuality was, what does that do to a person? And Benedict yeah. Cumberbatch's character, he has so much pent up hatred and he can't be happy. And what I thought was really interesting is while building up a really large intensity, he's been so cruel to yes. Kristen Dunst and her son, but the more he gets to know her son, he seems to be falling for him in a genuine way. Yeah. And we don't quite, I think because of what we expect a movie like that to give us, we 
expect things to turn out horribly wrong in a certain way when we're actually, I think, as far as Benedict Cumberbatch, where the film ends, I think we were just building up to a new beginning for him where he was going to have a breakthrough and and potentially be a nice guy. Yeah. But you can see why her son wouldn't trust that and that he actually feared for him and his mom's long-term safety and well-being. Yeah. When I saw this movie... I mean, I loved it, but I did not think about the big picture at all. I didn't think about the liberal politics. I didn't think about any of that. I just thought I I, 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 I didn't contextualize it at all. Maybe I should have, but I just thought this is such an intimate portrayal of these characters and this specific story. And, you know, it's a Western and... Yeah, I, I just didn't get it. To me, it's just a great movie with a great story with great characters. I mean, when Brokeback Mountain, a lot of people talked about that as a Western. I, I mean, I, don't, I never thought of it as a character piece. I thought of it as a love story. Yeah, that label Western, I think. Yeah. People love to put things into a genre box. When we talked about this thing with Batman, people seem to be really in love with the fact that it's it's a noir Batman. And it's important right. for them to say, it's a new, like without really, like why do we have to put these labels? I don't think that Jane Campion was setting out to make a Western with all of these new ideals. So Armand White. Well, ultimately what's interesting is the Academy is the Academy, right? And it's a very, it's a bigger diverse group. And ultimately when they vote, they're not voting necessarily as a film critic and they're not looking at what, like, so when they look at the 10 films, believe it or not, I mean, I honestly, it could end up being the power of the dog, but if it does, I think it this year could be somewhat of a surprise just in that, there doesn't seem to be as much love. So I'm going to go down the list and I'll tell you which ones, believe it or not, have some momentum. Okay. Can you first tell me what Armand White thought of Coda? I don't know. I don't know. If, okay. <laughs> I don't know if he's re- reviewed it. Um, it, but it. To me, I'm the one that's the biggest uh, antagonist of that film. I, I'm just shocked that it doesn't belong. Like if I look at the 10 movies, there's several that don't belong, and I'll mention them again because I've now seen all ten. Belfast, I saw this weekend. Yeah, let's go down the list. I thought Belfast, you know, it was enjoyable. The whole family watched it. My youngest checked out after twenty minutes; he wanted out. Okay. My oldest watched the whole thing at the end. Said I didn't like it. Um, I, my wife and I liked it, but it was just it, it's not. It's it's like a little bit of a slice of like coming of age in a very difficult time. Right. And there are a few good, powerful moments shot beautifully. It's shot on digital, but in black and white. And it was shot with pretty much all natural lighting. And I think it is one of Kenneth Branagh's better films. So I liked it, but I don't know why it's such a big, I wouldn't, I personally wouldn't have nominated it, but it's better than some of the other films I saw that that are nominated. (laughs) But there's a lot of love It's kind of a crowd pleaser, right, Belfast? I guess so. So, I mean, if you saw it with a crowd, which of course most of us aren't seeing it with a crowd, there's probably the laughs probably work better. There's probably a lot more emotion. It it actually has a fan base. It could potentially, I guess, be the best picture winning. Coda, I know this sounds crazy, but there's this wave. And if and and if that happens, if Coda somehow wins Best Picture, to me it'll mark the worst Best Picture that the Academy has bestowed the honor since The Greatest Show on Earth. Wow. Okay. This would be worse than Crash, in my opinion. Really? Crash may be worse because Brokeback Mountain is such the better movie. And this year, I can't right. argue that there's something that's just 
undeniably the best. But like, I feel like this year, you'd think that if the Irishman came out this year, it would be the big winner, but maybe not the way the Academy votes. <laughs> Don't look up. I mean, you know, I, I liked the movie, but I didn't think it was that great. And I certainly wouldn't have nominated it for Best Picture. Yeah, I wouldn't have nominated it. Does it have any momentum? Um, I don't think it will win Best Picture, but I do think that there's a group of people out there that do like it a lot. Um, right. Now, there will be those who will vote. And maybe, you know, weirder things have happened um, because it could be that if there's not enough first votes for things because they do a preferential ballot, maybe this is on oh, everybody's yeah. number two list. Uh, and, and if it won, I, I wouldn't be disappointed. It was my second favorite of all of the 10 is Drive My Car. It's on HBO uh, right. Max right now. And it is as good as the critics have said. It is not a film for everyone, though. For everyone okay. who loved Coda and thought that was the best film of the year, they're probably going to hate Drive My Car. Okay. <laughs> but yet, here's the thing is, I saw The Batman Saturday and it felt like that three-hour movie was 10 hours. Drive yeah. My Car is three hours, the same amount of time. This movie flew by. It's it's engrossing. Wow. It's not a film that the camera doesn't even move that much. Um, it's supposed to be a nice, calm pace. But the, the characters talk about things. And what they say are so interesting. And the way that the characters build and reveal their motivations... And the way that they study each other, and and you know some you know information that the other character doesn't know, and whether or not oh, this okay. other character can reveal something, and that has a parallel to the main play that's being rehearsed during the movie, which is uh, Uncle Vanya. It's pretty strike. It's striking stuff. Of the films on the list that I haven't seen, that's the one I'm most looking forward to. That's the one I would just recommend to you like on a, on a regular basis. So I started an hour of it on that Saturday night and then I wasn't going to be able to watch anymore because it was getting late. But it, yeah. I was so engrossed by it that when I went to bed, I put it back on and I watched another hour. And then I watched the final hour the next day, not because I needed to break it right. up, but because I just I had to go to sleep and it was I could have watched the whole movie straight through. It was wow. really good. It, it, and it moved for some strange reason. It just shows you you can have action scenes, yeah. and so many things, and it can be it can in three hours can feel like forever. And yet this film doesn't have any action scenes in it, and it flew by. <laughs> Who knows? I don't think that's going to win. Uh, Dune doesn't seem to have the heat. Yeah, it doesn't. No, but I think of the directing of that movie, and I think of the fact that Belfast got a nomination for Best Director, and I'm like, that does, doesn't make any sense to me that <laughs> Denny Villeneuve didn't get nominated for Best Director for Dune. King Richard, again, to me, that has no business being nominated at all. And I think right. that's another thing that's actually hurt the ratings, whether they want to admit it or not. The Academy, over 10 years ago, made a decision to bump up the categories to 10, the Academy members complained that that was too many and it was hard. So then they made it where if enough films got votes, it could be anywhere from five up to 10. And yeah. it was usually like seven, eight, nine. They've gone back to 10 now. I think that they were still hoping, well, maybe that would help get Spider-Man in and other things like that. Right. It, it did not. <laughs> Instead, you got like movies like King Richard and Coda. But you know what? That didn't help ratings. If anything... I think that when you only have five movies... It's more exciting. 
it's more exciting. And I think that movies that really like it, it crafts a little bit like consensus goes a little bit differently. So what would the five have been? If it was only five, I'm not sure. Like, so would a movie like Drive My Car have made it in the Best Picture race? Maybe not, but it maybe still would not. have been. Maybe it would have gotten the director nom. I, I don't know, but uh, you know, I think that they should go back to five, and that would also shorten the length of the of the ceremony. <laughs> so yes. After King Richard, Licorice Pizza, that is a movie that I think is really good. However, I know that people will be watch it and will be like, oh, I didn't like it. But I, 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 right. it was my third favorite of the films. Nightmare Alley, no, 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 no. That No, not at all. I mean, I like the movie for what it was, but it should not be in the top 10. I, I like it less and less the more I think about it. I don't like movies that give you so many like little pieces of the puzzle. Right. And and so, like, you can feel like, oh, my God, it was all this. Like, I saw every step of that movie, and it, and it really bothered yeah. me. And I feel that that was my biggest problem with The Shape of Water. There were some really obnoxious plot points that happened in that movie to get it from A to B to C, and I hated that. I didn't like the filmmaking in Nightmare Alley. I loved the production design. I didn't like the camera movements. I know you said that before, and I'm going to watch this movie a second time if— it comes on streaming with the black and white version. I've heard that's amazing. I want to check it out. Okay. I want to see that again, but that's the only reason why I'd rewatch it is because I want to see the black yeah. and white version. Uh, Power of the Dog, that would be the film that I personally, if I'm checking my ballot, I would put that as, yeah. my, uh, as my choice. And then the last film is the only other movie um, that I'd also put in my top five of those films uh, was West Side Story. And that also has a little heat because what's happening is since it debuted on streaming and it's one of those that's on HBO Max and Disney Plus, people are actually seeing it and they're going, holy shit, I really wasn't expecting that it was going to be that good. I didn't think that Spielberg could make that good a musical, that it could really be that powerful. So people are discovering it and if they discover it at the right time, if Academy Award voters were just getting right. ready to start, like, could they watch it on that weekend and be like, oh, that was great, get caught up in that, and they vote for that? Maybe. Yeah, because nobody saw it in the theater, so they're watching it now. Yeah, and it was a great theatrical movie. I, I, I was happy that I did get to see that in the theater, and it's like, you know, I look at the list, and the only two movies out of the 10 that I got to see in the theater was West Side Story and Licorice Pizza. Oh, yeah. You didn't see Dune in the theater, did you? Oh, yeah. Dune is the one that I really wish. You know, maybe someday yeah. in the future, I would. that's an IMAX movie all the way, and I really wish I could see it. Maybe when part two comes out, they'll do one of those, like, you know, double features. Right. Yeah. Supporting actress looks like the winner is going to be Ariana DeBose in West Side Story. If okay. I was casting my ballot, I would vote for Kirsten Dunst in The Power of the Dog. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't I don't, get to vote. So I have seen two of the f- international film nominees. Oh, wow. I saw Drive My Car. That's nominated. And I got to see this movie that I think I might get to talk uh, with our old pal, Al Frazier. We're going to talk about oh. this particular director, uh, the, this Italian director who directed The Great Beauty. And he has a film that is sort of his answer to Roma. It's called The Hand of God. Okay. And it's about his childhood in the 80s. Belfast isn't an answer to Roma? No. 
No. Okay. No, Belfast is like more of this very small slice of life during the very start of the troubles in Belfast. Okay. And a family getting caught up in like, you know, this is becoming a dangerous place to live and do they need to move? Right. Kind of thing. Okay. And there are a few interesting scenes. If you're looking for answers as to like what the hell the troubles were all about, this isn't going to help clarify it that much for you. <laughs> okay. Um, I think what's interesting There's is this. other movies for that. Well, it is told though from a side you don't always get to see. So you, it's you're you're actually in with a Protestant family, and it's the Protestants oh, being ag- being aggressive to the Catholics in the neighborhood, and but you're seeing one family caught into like not having any problems with the Catholics and not understanding why this right. is all happening and feeling powerless to do anything about it. Interesting. Yeah, and there's a couple of really powerful scenes action-wise in the movie too. But, uh, you know, again, it's a movie I liked. It has nothing yeah. to do with not liking it. Um, as a matter of fact, I don't know if I, well, Coda, I kind of disliked it. It's so manipulative. I don't like movies that are like, let's see if we can get you to like have some tears by the end. Right. We, you, you almost got to see this movie, honestly, because you two teach and you teach script writing and stuff. And this movie is nominated for screenplay. I am going to watch it. I, I, I will get, I, I mean, I don't, I can't guarantee I'll watch the whole thing, but. Well, here's the deal. This would, I, here's your mission, whether you choose to accept it or not. I think that, because again, it's interesting to get other audience perspectives. Your oldest daughter might enjoy it. Because there is a female protagonist. Uh, she's very good. I thought her acting uh, was really good in it. Um, her character is likable, a lot more likable than okay. her family. I'm just curious as what her take might be on it. But you got to watch. It's hard not to watch this thing and go, how did this get nominated for anything? <laughs> well, and best best adapted screenplay. I mean, it is such it, it's such a bag of cliches. There's oh, not an man. original moment in the entire movie. There really isn't. Like, I knew a million miles away what was going to happen. Like, you know, right. she wants to be a singer in this class, but yet she has a deaf family. They don't know how to sing, you know, ooh, this conflict. Um, <clears throat> and they don't understand why their daughter would want to do this. And, of course, there's going to be these things where she shows promise and she has to go for the lessons with the teacher who has infinite amounts of patience, but yet she has to help her family out with the job. So there's going to be how many times <laughs> is she going to miss rehearsals, right? Um, until the time that she can't help her parents out on the boat just when they need her the most and because she's not there <laughs> catastrophe ensues i mean this movie never stopped i'm really looking forward to it now it's actually it's the most original in its unoriginalness i mean i've never seen a movie that said how can we pretty much tackle every trope every cliche is? yeah yeah i mean oh it this movie we, we could get together and talk about that movie forever because it's so bad um and so that movie you know and then king richard i mean i i just look at it and my impression is that they're both kind of the same movie no no they are a little different and you know what king richard it it it's weird because i watched it and i kind of liked it a little bit for that fun movie but i remember going oh yeah, this movie's not getting nominated. It's not really that right. good. Um, it's And there's no way that, I mean, it's just a nice little film, but it's just not that good. And then to find out that, it, like, I'm like, well, I guess it was a tough year. Like, people had to fill out their ballots because they voted for this. It was a tough year. It was a tough year. COVID made it a tough year. But see, I want to be, you know, poo-pooing on all those that were, like, all upset that Spider-Man didn't get nominated, right? 
And and you know what? They have a point in that if movies are just supposed to be entertaining and that could count yeah. as a best, it's the only thing that resurrected box office this year. I mean, people basically spread Omicron to go see this movie. Yeah. And yet it is more entertaining than a Coda and a King Richard. It is better and in the, it, handsome production. I mean, there's nothing wrong. Yeah. So if it's better in every way, and it's certainly um, no less predictable than Nightmare Alley was. Right. So the, they have a point. Why couldn't that have been in the top 10? Because to me, Spider-Man was more enjoyable than Coda. It was more enjoyable than King Richard. It was more enjoyable than Nightmare Alley. And I liked it better than Belfast. Yeah. So it should be in there. Yeah. You heard it here first. James thinks Spider-Man should be best picture. <laughs> That's the takeaway from this episode, that James <laughs> is mad. <laughs> no, they, they, honestly, there are five deserving films that I saw this year. Probably yeah. my, my top five of the year were all in this list. And they're the only movies that should have been nominated. And to me, that's Dune, West Side Story, Licorice Pizza, Drive My Car, Power of the Dog. If any of those five win, yeah. I guess I can't complain. Wow. Okay. But I'm not going to watch. <laughs> I'm definitely not watching. I Well, that I can buy. You can, but you can find out when we do our recap, you're going to be like, you watched it, didn't you? And then I'll be the like, yes, I uh -huh. did. But I'm not. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to re resist. I'm not. Look, if there's nothing on that night to watch, maybe I'll steal a moment or two. But I used to watch the Globes. I don't watch that shit anymore. I haven't watched it in years. You know what else I think is really hurt ratings? YouTube. YouTube? Yeah, because you can just the next day watch the speeches that you want to see. Well, that's the thing. Is So anything that was worthy, I'll watch those moments. You're right. Yeah. And like I said, if they're going to take so little care that they're going to announce eight films before, you know, eight categories, well, I can already just check those online. Great. I'll just look and I'll be like, oh, exactly. this person. And if one. there's some, and, and, but, you know, you hear on social media pretty quick, like Joaquin Phoenix gave this crazy speech. Yeah. And then you go, go on YouTube and watch it. You don't need to watch the whole broadcast to get the viral moments. Exactly. And like I said, if they're going to do me this wrong, that I'm not going to, yeah. I'm not going to watch. Don't give them the ratings. Yeah. And that's the thing is kids, you said about YouTube, kids don't watch TV anymore. So they don't even care about the Oscars. So there's no, no. no you did when you were a kid and I did. We watched the Oscars. Yeah. Kids don't do that now. That's uh, the pre-Oscar, the pre, pre the second pre-Oscar episode. I know. I didn't think we were going to do one of these, but. Uh, <laughs> you You felt like you had to rant. Yeah. Now I'm going to go look up that Sam Elliott podcast. I knew that you would probably not have known about that and that you would enjoy hearing about it. So <laughs> that's why I want to do this episode, quite honestly. That is hilarious. Oh, I I'm, I'm, I Yeah, okay. Jane Campion, fraud, misandrist, homophobe. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, people- By Armand White. Oh, <laughs> that's oh. great. Yeah, go read, read Armand. That's the title of his review. Yeah, he's great. People don't know who Armand White is. You got to look him up. He's a real character. The yeah. thing is, he's a really good writer. He is a really good writer. No, it, it's always enjoyable to read his reviews, even though they're sometimes a little off the wall. 
Yeah, I mean, I think sometimes that's the problem is I feel like sometimes he revels in trying to take a movie down so much. And I'm like, at yeah. some point, do you like the medium at all? I mean, I know what film criticism is supposed to be, <laughs> but it just doesn't seem like he likes movies. Or he, what he really loves, he loves a film that has great critical consensus so he can go in and be the contrarian and tear it all apart. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I don't know what movie he likes. I, I can't imagine him liking any of the 10 movies nominated for Best Picture this year. Maybe Drive My Car. Just so you know, I don't know if you've seen it, but Armand White wrote an article about Sam Elliott. I think that's the one that I read this morning. Well, he wrote it. He has a review and an article about Sam Elliott. Um, I think it's the article about Sam Elliott that I read. Okay, because he's also got his own review of the movie. It's called Sam Elliott Abides. <laughs> yes, and, but then there's another review. Uh, he has another article that's just a review of the movie, his own review. I'll review, review that on, on its own, but I am going to read you this. So here's what Armand White says. Sam Elliott abides. Actor Sam Elliott is right to call foul on Jane Campion's odious <laughs> The Power of the Dog. After speaking out on the Mark Marin podcast against the film's Academy Award commendations, Elliott was mocked for being tone deaf, the favorite complaint of pundits who fear individual <laughs> expression. But by pointing out Campion's inauthenticity... Elliot questioned the judgment of Academy voters and, more significantly, provided the critical thinking that barely exists among the viewers and <laughs> <in> media chills. <laughs> this problem is more serious than the power of the dog itself, although it is inseparable from the offense of Campion's misandrist, blasphemous anti-Western. Elliot's unvarnished criticism, piece of shit, addressed the moral and credibility crisis evident in most contemporary films. Campion's comeback movie, after nearly 30 years of filmmaking irrelevance, <laughs> which I actually agree with, um, coincides with the shameless resurgence of progressive ideology, especially the credo condemning Western history and gender. Critic John Dimitri has termed Campion's film pseudo-feminist. So the hostile counterattacks on Elliot continue the current push against politically incorrect thought and speech. This is tied to the corporate media trend of dismantling American moral traditions. <laughs> <laughs> Elliot objected to a Los Angeles Times advertisement that hailed Campion's film as the evisceration of the American myth. But the blurb came from a New York Times review that praised the film as a great American story and a dazzling evisceration of one of the country's foundational myths. Elliot earned the authority uh -huh. to challenge both Campion and the New York Times revisionism through his definitive role as the stranger, a Western archetype in the cult classic The Big Lebowski, in which he played the cowboy conscience of the dude, Jeff Bridges. Elliot's role affectionately poked fun at the inspiration the Coen brothers got from the American Western folklore in an era that no longer revered myths. Campion's <laughs> film is vicious. In fact, it represents the attitude of what the Coen satirized as nihilists. They believe in nothing. That ideology is apparent in such trendy cultural cant as toxic masculinity, equity, social justice, all expressed by the power of the dog. <laughs> Elliot's criticism of Campion's inauthenticity. What does that woman from New Zealand know about the American West? Chippendale dancers who wear bow ties and not much else was stated with an actor's sarcasm, more derisive than ideological. But Elliot exposed the ideology that the New York Times printed as cultural dogma. And then he goes on and he gives that little 
paragraph. Times reviewer Manola Dargis pressed all the liberal media buttons enthused by Campion's political correctness, despite its anti-Americanism and its nastiness, <laughs> or maybe because of those aspects. <laughs> Elliot, I do helped. not. I mean, anti-Americanism. I just I don't see this in the movie. I know. I don't know. That's what I'm saying. It's sometimes sometimes the, the the reviews of these movies take on a life of their own. Elliot has yeah. helped r- reveal the time pseudo-sophisticated cultural politics dictates that some readers never question. For that, he is honorary film critic of the year. <laughs> In turn, backlash against Elliot demonstrates the fatuous nature of so much contemporary film think. Elliot was attacked as homophobic by social media cranks who praised the power of the dog, ignorant of how its sexual exploitation actually twists homosexuality into (laughs) depraved antagonism. (laughs) Campion's shrewdest stunt was to validate the young murderous fascist gay character, Cody (laughs) Smith-McPhee. Making it Wait, venal. he's a fascist? How That's is he a fascist? <laughs> Making a venal parable about generational politics. <laughs> there may have been personal <laughs> politics in Elliot's opposition, rather like the deep-voiced mustache Stetson-wearing authority of the stranger who has come to define Elliot's persona, his big Lebowski icon, complete with the all-American tumbling tumbleweeds background music, might be a risable figure representing American folklore now in disrepute. But eviscerate is a totalitarian term intended to divide people and cancel our cultural heritage. At least Elliot's critical thinking is not malevolent. Sam Elliot abides. <laughs> I mean, it's not great. That, that Armin uh, How is the fascist thing? <laughs> That's I my favorite I mean, part of the whole article. How is the character a fascist? <laughs> I know, it's so great. I actually think that was Armin White poking fun, but, you know, anyway. So there we have it. This has actually been an Oscar season that's got plenty to chat about, but yet I'm still going to boycott it. But unless Disney, uh, not Disney, Disney, ABC, I guess they're kind of the same, right? Uh, ABC, if they hear this podcast and they come to their senses, there's still time to get me on board, but you have to make the move to stop the madness. Oh my God. Okay. Uh, I'm I'm hoping for, I'm rooting for Cinderella. I am to or or Minimata, the Johnny Depp <laughs> little scene film that could. Um, all right, so this is the movie Lorlock. I'm uh, I'm James Kent, and with me is our friend Teal, and uh, we'll be back after the Oscars uh, to, to kind of put a bow on this, and uh, maybe I'll get another episode in between. I think that I've got this one movie to finish watching, and then try to get Al Frazier, and we'll uh, talk about those films. But anyways, until that time, uh, enjoy. Try to watch all the films that you can that are nominated. I think it's worth watching just to see how bad Coda is and whether or not you agree with me on King Richard. Uh, the All those films are available one format or another if you've got the streaming services. Belfast, I rented. It's now available for $6, 4K, oh, Apple. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that was fine. That's worthwhile. It was $20 a couple weeks ago, and I was not going to pay that. I will pay $20 for no movie that I'm sitting at my house to watch, but I will yeah. pay $6. I, I decided not to pay $25 to see to rent uh, Sing 2. Oh, and, I wouldn't uh, watch that for free. <laughs> I went to the theater to see it. 
You did with the kids? Yeah. The youngest? Yeah, she, she really like wanted to see it. She yeah, she didn't she didn't love it. She thought it was kind of fun, but you know, it's one of those movies like afterwards she didn't talk about it at all. She knows all the songs and stuff right, it's a so. jukebox musical and so you know, it's fun for that reason, but it's not something that she talked about that much. We were the only people in the theater for Sing 2. Of course, we went during the Super Bowl. <laughs> oh, well, there you go, yes. Um, yeah, where you live, the Super Bowl was probably king. Anyways, you get the gist, people. It's rambling, that's what the show is, but there's been some laughs. Uh, yeah, I've, I've had some laughs. Thank you, Armand Dwight. All right, bye, everybody. Bye.